All right, our scripture reading from today is from Luke 24, 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their heads to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. It's great to look at uh, one of the gospel presentations of the resurrection in Luke. Most of you know that Luke was a Greek. Uh, he might have been the guy. Remember the story where Paul has a dream and there's a guy in Macedonia saying, come help us? Some people think that that was who Luke saw. Uh, I mean, Paul saw in his dream uh, was Luke. Uh, and again, if you get the e-letter from North Cross, you know two of the movies that I recommended for you. And this is a great thing about coming to North Cross. You'll get lots of recommendations to do lots of things. But there's two really great movies. If you haven't watched them before, one is Risen, that has Joseph Pines in it. Uh, he's a Roman gladiator, and it's about his story of coming to faith. Um, and it's really fun. But there's another movie called Paul the Apostle. Um, and uh, you can rent it on Amazon Prime. And uh, it's really well done. But in the movie, for those of you who've seen The Passion, because Jim Caviezel, the actor, plays Jesus in that movie. In this movie, he plays Luke. And he goes to Paul, and he visits with Paul. And Paul teaches him a lot about the gospel. But the Paul's in prison in Roman, and Luke comes to visit with him. But Luke, our writer here, was a doctor. Uh, he joined the Apostle Paul in his missionary journeys. Uh, but he's also a historian. He uh, comes with a real concern, and he writes to Theopolis. He says, I want you to see that I've really researched, and the detail and the evidence for the story of Jesus is overwhelming. So, here in the Gospel of Luke, when you look at this story of the resurrection, it's kind of plain. It's like detail, but like, what's in this? Because it's not until we get to the road to Emmaus that we see an incredible short story, if you will, of what God was doing on the day of Easter, the day of the resurrection. But here, when we just are looking at the history, you have to love the humanity of it. It's very real. It's not like you read this and go, there's all kind of fireworks, and there's all kinds of jumping up and down, and wah. It's kind of like, whoa, that's pretty simple. That's what's going on here. But what I want you to see in the passage this morning and hear from God is, first of all, we need to be reminded, 
and we need to remember. We need to be reminded, and we need to remember. Now, in this picture of what we see here, of what's going on, we're going to see a theme that we want to develop today, that the women who are faithful and very loyal, who saw Jesus crucified on Friday, and I love one of the gospel narratives says they stand off at the distance, but they know they have a responsibility to care for Jesus' body. Uh, and so they're paying attention on Friday, and the Sabbath for the Jews started Friday night at sundown, and you can't do anything until the, it's the, day, the next day, but you really can't do anything until Sunday morning. So they are preparing to go uh, take care of Jesus' body on Easter morning. But I want you to see that what Thoreau says about what happens to most people is true for all of us if we're not careful. And that is, if we're not careful, we become people who live lives of quiet desperation. Um, that what's really going on is not a great joy and excitement about our lives, is that we're actually disappointed, we're frustrated, we spend a lot of time sighing, and so what happens is that we're practicing resignation. One of my good friends who's an elder in R Richmond, he said, Clyde, and he's older than I am, if that's possible, but he is, um, he uh, he would say to me when I was younger, he said, Clyde, my big concern for our congregation is people will settle. They'll just settle and say, this is as good as it gets. This is as good as it gets. Now, the resurrection invites us to something very different. And what I want to invite you to and what Luke invites you to is learn how to practice resurrection in your life, not practice resignation. Don't settle. Are you, have you settled? Here's one of the ways that you can know you're practicing resurrection. You're singing a lot. <laughs> if you are a person of the resurrection, the music, you're hearing the music of the gospel. It thrills you. You're putting worship music on as you cook. You're putting worship music on as you're driving. You're putting worship music on as you let take your children to bed and sort of sing to them. You're singing a lot in your household. It is the sound of music, if you will. It's the sound of the gospel. When you're practicing resurrection, you're sighing a lot. I bet some of you are really good sighers, you know? You just, oh yeah, another day, another disappointment, another frustration. It's pretty dark. It's pretty sad. I'm pretty lonely. I'm pretty frustrated. And you sigh a lot. But resurrection is about learning to sing again and find what Thomas Chalmers said is this expulsive power of a new affection. You're in love with Jesus because of what he's done for you. And so what we see here is that the women that are coming to see Jesus, and they are practicing resignation. I mean, they're doing the right thing, but it's sad, it's dark, it's lonely. Now, uh, one of my favorite, again, I'm going to jump here just for a second, uh, is Dick Vitale. And some of you who follow sports and basketball know he's an amazing character. But one of the things about Vitale that really got me to really like him, and not only like him, is to say I would love to meet him, was that whenever he does basketball commentary at a game, he says when the game is over, the first thing he does is he looks at the losing team. He looks at the coach who's just lost. 
and he feels for him because although he is a great commentator, he has a terrible record as a basketball coach. He lost a lot. But in his new life as a commentator and all that, he knows what it feels like to lose. And here in this situation, Jesus knows what it feels like for these women to come care for his body. And so the story that unfolds right here is a plan that he and the Father and the Holy Spirit are working to bring them out of their resignation. And so the women are the witnesses, uh, and they're perplexed about what they find because Jesus is not there. Now, one of the cool things about this story is is that Luke kind of clues us into something about the resurrection because there in verse 8, he's going to refer to Jesus as Lord Jesus because up to this point, Luke in his gospel has never referred to Jesus as the Lord. But one of the marks of the resurrection, he is now the Lord of all. And as the old saying goes, if he's not the Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. But what's going on here is that the women are genuinely perplexed about what's going on. And then the angels show up. (laughs) And so the angels show up, and and it lights up the tomb, and they're there, and we know that the women are terrified. Now, another cool thing about this story is that whenever angels show up in the Bible, and most of you would know the answer if I was asking you personally, what do the angels usually say when they show up? And it's this, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. But they don't say that. <laughs> so what are the, what's the question that they throw out there? What do they ask the women? Where, when we get to this place where they, um, they're uh, talking to the women, they say, why do you seek the living among the dead? Now, can we just back up for a second? Can we go unplug for a minute and be honest? How many churches have you been to? How many Christians have you been around that their faith is not living, but it's dead? It's, there's something really wrong because they're looking for life. They go to church, they hear the Bible, they sing the songs, they read the words, they say the Apostles' Creed, they pray the Lord's Prayer but there's a resignation, a deadness inside of them. And you go, what's wrong? What have they missed? Now, in this setting, when the angels, there are two of them, and in some of the accounts, there's only one. So in the gospel writers, uh, some are just concerned with communicating what was said, and they don't include the two. But Luke, because he's interested in details, and he wants to make sure we know actually all the history going on here, There's two, but one is speaking, says, basically, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Now, big question for us at this point is, are we looking for life in Christ, but we're living as if the tomb is not empty? We're living as if the resurrection didn't happen, and you say, now, wait a minute, I believe in the resurrection. I affirm, I give assent to it, but is it moving you to sing? Is your life characterized by worship and joy and freedom and the thrill of knowing that you belong to Jesus, the thrill of knowing you were bought with a price? Jesus went to all of his love to show you that you have been bought with a price. So let that resonate in you a little bit. There's a book out now by Bono called Surrender. 
that it's all about, you know, his evangelical faith, his journey to surrender, to move from living life selfishly in a self-centered life to what it means to give his life to God. And, uh, and it's really fascinating because if you listen to podcasts where he talks about the book or you start reading the book, he talks about when he is performing, he's very critical of himself while he's performing. And he'll go off stage and take a breather before he comes back up to sing again. And he said one time, particularly, he just felt like he was bombing. He was feeling like, man, this is just, I am doing a terrible job here. Um, and he says, how am I going to sort of reboot, get my energy back up, get back up? And immediately, he started thinking about the song Amazing Grace. And he said, um, and then I started singing it to myself, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. And he said, I realized that grace has a sound. It has a sound. So here's a little thing for you to think about today for yourself. What does grace sound like to you? What is the sound of it? What does it do to help you believe that Jesus is indeed risen from the dead? So this question is a great counseling question, isn't it? The angels are saying, what are, you, what are you doing? Because you're trying to find life in that which is dead. Now, what he's getting ready to do is he, they remind them of the fact that he is risen. And notice what they say. He had to suffer. He had to be crucified, or the angel. He had to be resurrected. And then he sets the stage for them to do what happens next. And here's the key thing for you this morning. I'm reminding you of the truth of the resurrection. We've already been doing it in worship. But do you remember it was for you? That Jesus had to suffer. Now, one of the things that's so encouraging and thrilling about following Jesus is there's a fellowship with him when we begin to open ourselves to him as we suffer. I remember years ago listening to a famous Christian talk about this, where he said, what do you do when you help people who are suffering? We're not stoical. We don't deny it. We don't dismiss it. He said, you need to help people lean into the pain. Now, in our culture, in our society, we want to be free from pain. We build our lives around watching TV and reading books and doing fun stuff and being on the lake and all this kind of stuff, and we, we really work hard at not feeling pain. But when suffering begins to be real and you can't escape it and there's pain, what do we do? <laughs> we tend to medicate. We eat too much. We drink too much. We just kind of run away from the pain. But here's the truth of practicing resurrection. When you begin to live the truth of the resurrection for yourself, you don't run away from pain, you run into it. Now, one of the tributes to the teacher who was killed in uh, Nashville last week was really powerful because I'm watching uh, CNN, Anderson Cooper is giving tribute to the people who lost their lives at the school, particularly the school teacher. And Anderson Cooper, who had been reading what people were saying about the head of school at the Covenant Day School, he said, uh, man, just reading what people said. Now, some of you know the Christian songwriter Stephen Curtis Chapman. 
and Stephen Curtis Chapman is a close friend of the woman who died. He sang at her funeral, who was the head of school. And what Stephen Curtis Chapman says is that the great thing about her was she didn't run away from pain, she ran to it. Stephen Curtis Chapman lost a daughter tragically, a tragic accident, and this woman was the first one to show up and to help him. So when you learn to lean into the pain of your own suffering, when you see other people suffering, it doesn't throw you off, it doesn't make you want to withdraw, it makes you want to go, I wonder how God is going to work in this situation to reveal his love for these people and to help them. Because you've experienced it yourself, you're now able to comfort those with which you have been comforted. So when we talk, talk about practicing re resurrection, we're talking about people who are not afraid to enter into the suffering of others. When we're practicing resignation, it goes like this. Uh, the Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice. So when we're people who are living in resignation, we go, why does that happen for me? <laughs> we don't, we're not excited for other people having good things happening to them. We're really disappointed, like, what about me? Why, why don't good things like that happen for me? But when we hear about bad things happening to other people, here's what we think, selfishly. Man, I'm glad that's not me. See, you see the difference night and day? Why do you look for life among that which cannot give you life? Why do you walk into the church, into Bible studies, into your small groups, in your own personal reading, but you read it, you think about it, you're praying as if the tomb is not empty. You're reading it as if the resurrection has not happened. And that's what's going on with the women here. Now, again, this is so powerful, and again, I encourage you to go back and read it. Um, because after he reminds them that Jesus had to suffer, be crucified, and raised, in verse 8 it says, and they remembered his words. And they remembered his words. They were reminded of the truth, but here's what memory does for you. This is the power. When you remember, it goes right into the core of who you are, and you, you listen. You lean in. You go, whoa. Is this, God, what you're saying to me? You remember the truth. Now, uh, a story out of my past that I'm not really proud of, but uh, again, we're among friends here, I hope, uh, is that uh, when Valerie and I first got married and we didn't have much money, uh, my mother worked at the Diddle School in Chapel Hill, and uh, they. this is where you would have uh, crowns were made of gold. I actually have one in my mouth, so I'll show it to you sometime and gross you out. But anyway, um, I have a crown in my mouth of gold. Uh, but there was a dental student who, when he would make these crowns, would also make rings with dental gold. So Valerie and I didn't have two pennies to rub together, and so we were thinking about how are we going to get rings and all that. Valerie has her ring on today. Uh, and so we had two rings made for us uh, from dental gold for crowns, okay? So anyway, fast, I'm going to go speed up here a little bit. We, had, we just got married, moved to Philadelphia. I'm at Westminster Seminary. I'm playing on the church softball team. And, um, and so I'm out there playing, playing softball, and I pull my glove off, but I don't realize when I pull my glove off, my ring comes off, and I lose it. 
okay? And so I lost my ring. And uh, so, but I was of that age and arrogance that I thought, I don't need a wedding ring. You know, why don't, I don't need, Valerie loves her ring and she wants to wear a ring, but I don't need one. So from that point on, so let's go 15 years later, I'm in a church in Greensboro that we were starting. And one of my guys who was a really good friend of mine goes, Clyde, you should be wearing a wedding ring. And I go, I don't need a wedding ring. He says, but anyway, I want to buy you a wedding ring, okay? So if I showed you my wedding ring right now, it's got a lot of story behind it, but it's white gold, which has got a story to it. But if I pull my ring off and showed you on the inside, inscripted is the word remember. Remember. Now, why that has significance for me is that a story that he and I love very much from these fictional novels has this key idea in the story that a man who's totally defeated by life, who's living in resurrection, somebody constantly is showing up to him in different ways and saying, remember. When we come to this meal today, Jesus says, remember. And here's one of the ways you know resurrection has real power in your life. Your sense of memory and remembering this thing has power. You come to this table and you're reminded Jesus through his life and death has done something for me that only he could do. And now I get the benefit, the freedom of his life, his death, his resurrection. Paul will say, because of Christ's resurrection, you are now justified before God. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Remember, that's your story. Uh, a few weeks ago, I did a funeral back in Winston-Salem where we live for a friend of ours, and uh, he's just a real character, but he had... Uh, just a lot of tragedy in his life. He was an alcoholic, then a recovering alcoholic. Um, and I learned during uh, just hearing more of his story that he was one of those guys when he was nine years old, walked the aisle. He believed in Jesus, but a lot of his life was spent away from God, practicing resignation versus resurrection. His first marriage blows up. He meets his second wife through AA. They get married, but he's still making a train wreck of his life. And then he goes to a church, and some of you know that this church in Pauley's Island, South Carolina, it's an Anglican church, which if you know this church, you know it's a church that people drive for hundreds of miles to go to on Sunday. I have friends in Wilmington who drive to Pauley's Island to go there because resurrection is all over the place. There's so much going on. And so this guy that uh, I did the funeral for, he had a little phrase after he went to this church and God met him in a powerful way. And there was a healing service. And he stayed afterwards and he went to the time of healing and, and God just really met him and healed his broken heart, broken story. And his wife Julie would tell you, from that point on, he walked differently with Jesus. But here's what my friend would love to say, whenever he heard the good news like I'm talking about today, or I'm, you know, he's around where he sensed the gospel being a precious memory to him, he would say, now that's what I'm talking about. Now that's what I'm talking about. So as you go out this week, 
I want you to be thinking, now that's what I'm going to talk about. I want to talk to people about the hope of the resurrection. Do you know that the central message of the church is resurrection? <laughs> that's our message. If you really want to invite people to understand who God is and what Christ has done, talk to them about the hope of heaven and what it means to you what you're looking forward to, what you want to experience, because for people to understand that, that heaven is going to be real for them, they're going to begin to understand what you can then share with them and say, here's how you know you're going to be with Jesus forever and ever. You know, one of the most scary things um, in the Bible that Jesus says is this, is that on that last day, People are going to come to me and say, Jesus, I did this for you. And Jesus, I did this for you. And Jesus, I did this for you. And Jesus is going to say, what? I never knew you. You see, the women were good women. They were loyal to Jesus. What they understood about a relationship with him was things they needed to do for him. But what happened to them on that Sunday was they realized it's not what they were going to do for him or doing for him. It's what he had done for them. Because you see, on that day, and this is where I want to invite you, you've never allowed yourself to remember and think about a story you know so well as being real for you, is that on that day, when you appear before God and see Jesus Christ as he really is, it's not about you saying, well, Jesus, here's what I did for you. I taught Sunday school, I was an elder, I was served, I did this, I served the pregnancy care center, that's not going to be my story. That's not what you're going to be talking about. Say, Jesus, I'm with you. Jesus, I'm with you. It's because of what you've done for me and what you're doing for me, did for me, that makes me secure in the fact that I am now welcomed and you and I get to shake hands and hug each other and start laughing. <laughs> and start laughing. Can you get a picture of that? Just meeting Jesus and not going, Jesus, I know you're so disappointed with me. I know I messed it up. I know I live so selfishly. It's rather like, Jesus, I'm here because of what you've done for me. And you'll start laughing. You'll have real joy. And if you can taste that, remember that's what you're being invited to today. When you look forward to whatever's coming this week, next week, for as many years and days as you have, is that what you are going to be thinking and saying is, now that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about this kind of love and this kind of forgiveness and this kind of hope. And then, my friend, we're on our way. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to uh, not only find us, but to build a relationship with us where we know that we're not lost, but that we're loved. And I pray for people here today who really want to know, want to experience you for the first time. May this be the day. But for those of us who felt ourselves just being beaten up and beaten down by our own sense of superiority or inferiority or both, where we've been practicing resignation, Jesus, have mercy on us today. I need to be rescued from my, just the quick ways that I give up, I quit. And Lord, we don't want to be quitters. We don't want to be people who give up. But we want to learn how to give in and trust that you've got something for us. That when we let it be true, uh, we say, that's what I want to be about. 
In Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stay in and worship.